What is net neutrality anyway? Is internet freedom really on the ropes? The Monica Perez Show starts now. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6, except for when I'm not. Like today, I'm on 4 to 6, so this is the start of the show. I am here live. If you want to call, you can call the regular numbers, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. And next week, I'm not going to be on at all, but the week after that, I'm back at my regular time, 3 to 6, and then when basketball is completely over, uh, that's the way it'll be, Saturdays from 3 to 6. So I'm on once a week, and I talk about what I think is the most important topic of the week, and I feel like the most important topic for forever is going to be what's going to amount to an endless war. But I'm tired of it, and I need a break. So I'm taking the second most important topic this week, which is the FCC ruling on net neutrality. And this whole issue of Internet freedom has kind of been on my mind since, I mean, it's always kind of on my mind. But last week on the show, I didn't want to divert from what some interesting stuff about ISIS that there were reports that this uh, the Libyan beheadings were fake. This was on Fox News. And if you want to know about that, go to my website, MonicaPerezShow.com. You can listen to last week's podcast or read my articles. But that's what we were talking about, and I didn't want to get derailed. But a caller said uh, something that really provoked a lot of responses on my email and Facebook and stuff. Uh, caller Lisa said, we've all given up on privacy. And I, I, I just don't know if that's true. Maybe it's true. I mean, I kind of have given up on privacy, but I haven't given up on expecting privacy. So I don't censor myself. I don't not send emails. I just gave up on caving to what they call the panopticon, to being watched all the time as opposed to chill you. So I haven't. But if you have or want to chime in, that is what I want to talk about uh, in a little bit, 404-872-0750 and 1-800-WSB-TALK. But that dovetailed with this net neutrality thing that happened this week because what Lisa was talking about was privacy. The net neutrality fear, as far as internet freedom goes, is more towards censorship. So I was thinking about it. What is internet freedom? And to, And I think I've distilled it down to these two things, censorship and privacy. And it's funny because they're kind of flip sides of the same coin in that uh, int the internet is information. That's all it is. So, and, and, and knowledge. And the first incarnation of the surveillance state was called Total Information Awareness. It was a U.S. government program whose motto I've said before on the air, but I can't overstress how much, how important it is. Their motto was knowledge is power. So the Internet is power, really. And if, if the information flows all in one direction, that's the, that's the side that gets the power. So the government would like all the information to flow to it. So it wants to censor the information we get, control the information we get, and get and eliminate our privacy so it gets all the information about us. That gives it all the power. We, the people, want the exact opposite. We want no censorship because we want all the information. 
and we want our privacy because we don't want to give them our information. And this is where the tension arises. I, I personally think the government has no rights whatsoever except for to protect our rights. So we, it hands down there should be no censorship and total privacy. But the government is, is an entity of power and it just wants more power for itself and that's how it acts. And anything, anytime they tell you, like the FCC with net neutrality, anytime they tell you they're doing this for your own good, it's just not believable. I don't believe it. And it's a ridiculous thing even to <laughs> suggest. So, and I'm going to get into later what I think this thing really is all about uh, as far as motives go. But in this idea of, uh, of the government wanting to control the information flow, the two things it does, the two pieces of legislation that keep cropping up that that can't seem to take hold because the people object to it, address both of these things, censorship and privacy. The uh, CISPA legislation is about privacy. That's when they want, the government wants to be able to get our search data, for example, from Google without any kind of legal due process, without a search warrant or anything like that. It just wants to get our information up to it without any restrictions. PIPA or SOPA is the other kind of legislation they've been trying to push, and that's what they call anti-piracy legislation. But to me, that's the censorship. Because what that says is they can shut down websites, again, without due process. So they can just, it's like the way uh, asset forfeiture works in in drugs. They don't have to get a conviction to take your stuff. That's how that works. So they are pushing for censorship and to eliminate our privacy, but we keep fighting back. So expect them to come in the back door on this stuff. And I think they will, and they do. And in the net neutrality case, uh, let me tell you what happened this week and why it goes to this idea of potentially uh, encouraging censorship or allowing censorship. The FCC, by according to along party lines, three votes for the Democrat from by Democrats, four and two votes by Republican appointees against, they passed what they're calling this net neutrality thing, and it has four parts. The first one is uh, it says there's no blocking that Comcast or Time Warner or whatever cannot block. Uh, the internet, any content that's legal. So they can block porn, but they can't really block anything that's, they cannot block anything that's not, that is legal. They can't throttle stuff that's legal. So they can't slow down the pipes of one, um, from one source in order to make it less accessible. And it can't, uh, what I call upcharge, I don't know what they, what their official term is, but what Comcast was doing was asking Netflix, actually got Netflix to agree to pay for uh, all the capacity it uses because Netflix and YouTube take up half of internet traffic. That's because there's just so much information over what they send you. So Netflix was finding ways to get, to just basically clog up, didn't want to clog up Comcast pipes, but Comcast used to just always meet increased demand by upping their little pieces of infrastructure. And finally, Netflix was just overwhelming them. They said, we're not, every time you dump this stuff on us, we're, we, it costs us, so you're going to have to start paying. And Netflix agreed to, but this now says they can't do that. That's the thing that I think is uh, uncool because there's, when you eliminate the pricing mechanism, you always get a, a wrong allocation, like an overuse of resources, kind of waste. So if you don't give YouTube or uh, Netflix any incentive 
to compress its data or to to offer premium quality over quantity. There, it's good for them to have some pricing pushback so they don't just end up being pigs in the pipes. But this will eliminate that, and I don't like that because I think dynamic pricing is the is the essence of you know kind of surplus wealth that if you if you get the pricing mechanism right you get the maximum use of resources in the whole world so you kind of maximize wealth and and utility for everybody if you get the pricing mechanism right and this takes the pricing mechanism away so that if these guys clog up the pipes comcast can't charge them they just have to build bigger pipes which means everybody would have to pay more it's possible that the FCC, because of this ruling, could come in and say, we're going to control your rates. You don't uh, you can't charge more, in which case they just wouldn't build a bigger pipe, probably. And then you'd have this back and forth of the central planners trying to figure out the right rates and you're going to get a suboptimal outcome. But that rate piece relates to the fourth item in this net neutrality ruling. And Comcast said they don't object, actually, to the first three. They can even tolerate Netflix's uh extra traffic but what they what they don't like is the fourth thing which is the fcc reclassified the internet as as a like a subject to the telecommunications act like a utility and comcast said this produces all sorts of uncertainty and potential regulation that these guys are not addressing now wheeler the head of the fcc said well, we did open the can of worms, but we're not going to let any of the worms out. We're going to forbear on using those other regulations. Now, I don't know what the next guy is going to say, and that's what I'm worried about. But the reason they reclassified it, if I understand this correctly, is that these net neutrality laws had been struck down by the courts a couple of times because they said the FCC didn't have jurisdiction. So the FCC gave itself jurisdiction by reclassifying it as something they have jurisdiction over. And I think that's as far as it really goes in this guy's mind. He didn't like it. He wasn't going to do it until Obama kind of strong-armed him. I'm going to talk about that after the break. But these guys did this, and now uh, there is this potential for harm. And that harm is the way I think of, like, uh, TV broadcasting versus and radio and stuff versus print books. Think about the breadth and depth of your uh, of the of the information and the analysis and stuff you get from print compared to what you get on the TV and radio. And the internet has been like print. Like you just get everything you could ever want. But the beauty of the internet is it has the reach of like broadcasting. But broadcasting TV, radio, they have licenses. They basically have to keep their nose clean noses clean, good relationships with the government because licenses can be taken away. And that's why, in my opinion, you have a much more limited uh, offerings on that broadcast media. And I'm afraid just by virtue of the fact that the Internet is now moving from the unregulated sphere like print to the regulated sphere like broadcast, over time, you'll get the same style. You'll get the same restrictions. But it's hard to put your finger on what is really going to happen because they haven't really thought it through. Nobody really knows. But, and I, and I, but I think this might be a turning point for that. And we probably won't even remember because stuff goes down the memory hole. But I do also think that, uh, that there is an element of cronyism in this and that maybe that's the, the main purpose of why Obama insisted or 
made it clear that this is what he wanted. And I want to tell you the significance of this, of of who won the crony battle here, in my opinion, what the significance of uh, the Democrats winning this over the Republicans and what that says about the future. But I also want to know about your fears about the Internet freedom. And if you if go back to the privacy question, have you given up on privacy? 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK, or you can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. I am the Libertarian Voice on WSB, and we're talking about what so-called net neutrality and what happened this week. Uh, The FCC passed net neutrality, even though the people didn't want it. I'm going to Steve in Canton. Steve, what do you have to say? Hey, how are you today? Good. How are you doing? Good. Just uh, real quick, um, you know, this is about crony capitalism, in my opinion. And this is no more than another power grab to control, is about control and the government. It has really nothing to do with what we think or what we don't think. It's all about what the parties, and I want to say that plurally, get from this. This is not about what we get, it's about what they get. And they get more power. So this is just yeah. a. This is a, this is a an item on a very long list, a punch list that they want to grab control of, and frankly, I don't see anything on either party that is going to stop any of this. Funny that you should say uh, I I like both of the points that you made in that one uh, that both parties have something at stake here because the guy who sounded the alarm, people were up in arms about this before anyone even knew what it was in because what was in it because the Republican appointee, Ajit Pai, uh, commissioner on the FCC, one of the five, ran around uh, ringing the alarm bells and kind of acting like he was a liberty-minded guy and he was doing this for us. But I couldn't help but smell politics in the air. I think this was really a deeper battle between Democrats and Republicans. And I also like that you touched on the punch list because this isn't the overarching internet freedom grab that uh, you might have read during the week. It's just a piece of the puzzle. And any piece they can fit in, they fit in. If they can't fit it in now, they'll fit it in later or they'll make it out of something else. But I'm going to tell you what the real significance I think of the cronyism and the partisanship is right after this. 404-872-0750. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez on WSB. I am your libertarian voice on WSB. We're talking about this net neutrality... Uh, ruling from the FCC this week and I started out by explaining what I kind of had an epiphany of what internet freedom what the issues surrounding internet freedom really are and it's their two prongs one is censorship and one is privacy and that's just about who's getting the information is the information going uh, to us in its natural state, or is the government going to control that information? And likewise, are we able to keep the information that we want to keep in our private communications, in our private commercial transactions, in our private research, or is the government going to get that information? 
And that's what the great battle of Internet freedom is about. And people are concerned that this week's FCC ruling on net neutrality is going to start encroaching on uh, starting to implement or give a, a backdoor to censorship because it'll now be uh, classified under the Telecommunications Act, basically like a utility, the FCC can really regulate it, which it did not have the power to do before until it gave itself the power, which I think is funny. It was struck down twice in court, the FCC's attempt to make these net neutrality rules. So, and the court said, if it were something that you were uh, allowed to regulate, if it went under your purview of something to regulate, then you could regulate it, but it doesn't. So the FCC made the rule, uh, had to reclassify it, that's what it seems like to me anyway, as a telecom, so that it would have the right to make these rules that the court struck down before. But this brings a... Uh, an issue to mind for me, which is this is the FCC legislating for us. And it's a total violation of the Constitution. And in fact, Congress could override these rules with express legislation. But that's the funny thing. That's how these guys work. I mean, they really play chess, not checkers. You know, we're playing checkers. They're playing chess. They think a few moves ahead. So the Republicans want to come out swinging and advance legislation all of a sudden, it went for an internet that wasn't regulated to how are we going to regulate the internet? So now you're going to have uh, the only way to get rid of this is to legislate from Congress. But I, I want to touch on for a second that I went to Stanford Law School and, I, and they had a class administrative law. And the first day, the first thing the professor said was, don't bring up constitutional issues here. There is a good argument to be made that administrative law is all unconstitutional because it's legislation coming out of the executive branch. That if the Congress isn't if Congress isn't making the laws, no one can on the federal level. But administrations, anything that's like uh, uh, the Federal Aviation Administration, anything that's an administration making these regulations are really making legislation. But usually the president keeps a back seat to these issues so that it doesn't look like it is the executive making the laws. But even that facade was pulled away this time because Obama made it very clear what he wanted. I did a show on this last March or May, a long time ago, almost a year ago. And this net neutrality uh, issue was struck down by the courts and it looked like a dead letter. People were against it. Everyone kind of understood that you don't want to change the way it's done because you like the way it is. That just doesn't make sense. And that's really what they're doing. They're like, we love the free internet. So we're going to make all these rules to keep it that way. It's like, no, what you're actually doing is making all these rules that keep it exactly as it is, which isn't what makes it free and dynamic and good. So, Obama, in the fall, made it very clear that he wanted the most rigorous possible net neutrality rules. Then all of a sudden, we get a 323-page document that we were not allowed to see before the five FCC commissioners voted along party lines to accept it. And it totally conforms with what Obama wanted. And it's very easy for me especially to see in this the big grand plan of internet control, of internet censorship. And I definitely think this is a Trojan horse for that that is intentional and foreseeable, just like Obamacare, one of the guys who worked for George Soros, who basically wrote that thing, said this is a Trojan horse for socialized medicine across the board. Don't worry, we'll get it eventually. 
I feel like the guys who write this stuff, the guys who tell Obama what they want, like Rod Blagojevich said, you don't get something for nothing in this business. There's always quid pro quo for whatever, campaign contributions, favors. I don't know how it really works, and specifically in this case. But uh, Obama said he wanted this, and this is what he, uh, this is what uh, came out of it, and, and I believe that there is a Trojan horse in there. But on its face, what I really think happened here is that Google, who owns YouTube, for example, and some other very, very big players, I have mentioned on the show before, I believe that they have fully entered, that big tech has fully entered the, I'm going to call it tier one of the military industrial complex. I always think of defense, energy, and finance as being tier one of the military industrial complex. Those are the guys the wars are fought for. Those are the guys who get what they want. Then you have tier two, which is like big ag, big farm, if you want to call it that, big pharma, pharmaceuticals. That's the next tier. Telecommunications is not tier one, but it looks to me now like big tech is tier one. And I talked about this when I first saw a picture of Obama in a room with all the heads, the titans of tech toasting. And I remembered, I think, was it Adam Smith who said, Titans of industry, of the same industry, don't get together unless they're colluding against your interests. And then I realized there was going to be some quid pro quo for the back doors the NSA builds into these guys' uh, um, services that they offer when they share our data with the government. Facebook does that. Obviously, the, the door goes both ways of cronyism. And this is a way for companies like Netflix and YouTube to transfer the costs of its business onto Comcast. Comcast, I think rightly, wants to charge these guys for the increased infrastructure spending Comcast has to pay to uh, meet their constantly growing mega demand. They, those two alone, YouTube and Netflix, take up half internet traffic. So Comcast was winning, was negotiating with Netflix to pay for some of that, to chip in. And this is made a law. They got a law passed that they're not allowed to do that. So Comcast has to put it or it has to just raise its rates to everybody, but it definitely transfers the burden of these costs from potentially being Google's problem to being telecom's problem. And I and I think of big tech, or I'm looking at this situation now, how it really split along party lines, and I'm thinking... The Dems are, Democrats are obviously in deep with big tech, and I guess maybe telecom old school is still a Republican thing. Maybe this is a changing of the guard uh, from infrastructure to uh, the content providers. You know, I really don't know, but that, but the laws change to accommodate the rising power. And I got that from this great book. By Albert J. Nock, I've mentioned before, Our Enemy, the State, where he said that the Articles of Confederation were like a decentralized uh, document for that the agricultural power base liked, like Patrick Henry, who I like, and I like the Articles of Confederation. But Alexander Hamilton and the merchant, the rising merchant class, the centralization in the cities, they wanted the Constitution, which was more a centralized document. And they won because the rising economic power is the one who shapes the laws because the government, after all, at that level, the modern state level, is just a a conduit for privilege to flow. It's not to protect your rights. It's to exploit your rights. 
in order to bestow privileges on those who can give it back to the government. So you're never going to get the privileges coming to the people. Like they say, oh, net neutrality is great. It's going to give you the freedom that you need and want. It's like, no, we have no power. There's no way you're doing this for us. If by accident we get some benefit, okay. But there is always, you don't get something for nothing in this business, to paraphrase Rod. So that's, I think that on the face of this thing, it's it's just plain cronyism with a Trojan horse that we will see manifest itself later. Uh, I'm going to go to some calls, 404-872-0750. I'm going to Kim. Kim, hi, you're on with Monica. Hi, Kim. Hi, I absolutely adore your show. Oh, thank you. Oh, I just think you're fabulous. Um, Something that, I mean, you're right, I think this is a Trojan horse. It's a way for them, think about it, What, what do you bet? that sometimes they're going to say, you know, if you want to have a website, you need to have a license, just like a radio or TV station. And if someone complains about something on your website, or if we don't like what's on your website, we'll just take you down, or we won't grant you a license. And you're not going to say it. They're not, they probably won't even say it that way. And if you think about how easy it is to demand licenses, hairdressers have to have licenses. That's right. And the nail technist, what do you do my nails? <laughs> yeah, it's... License. Yeah, in a frame. Like, there's laws about how they have to display it. Yeah. I was yeah. reading I was reading this book, For a New Liberty, by Murray Rothbard. And it goes through the early, some early cases of radio where they, they were, everybody just squatted on the frequencies. So there was no laws or anything. If you broadcast on a frequency, you owned it, just like land. And one of the first laws, one of the first court rulings was this guy was like ranting about politics and the judge said, your style is offensive and you have no right to be on the air. So we're taking it away from you. And that just shows you that it's really a censorship mechanism that the government's going to censor. Well, and I think that the businesses that they're in cahoots with will use it to keep small startups out of the marketplace or make it very so expensive and, and you know, it'll just be prohibitively expensive for them to get into it. So it's, you know, it hurts the middle class. It hurts someone trying to get ahead. And I just, um, and also, too, it's a way for them to censor you if they don't like, you know, if the party in power. Um, it's just like, um, grant, like the, target, the IRS targeting Tea Party groups. And they can use this to target any website or anyone who wants to have a website that they don't like. Yeah, and the thing that I especially don't like about this is that we don't actually know the details. All of a sudden, it got shifted into this 80-year-old law. Just like Obamacare was. We'll have to pass the law to see what's in the law. And they really really did that in this case, and and it's disturbing. So the, the... other thing is that they said it was going to be a fast lane. Like the problem was that Netflix or Google or whatever could pay Comcast for a fast lane. And that's why they're doing this for us. But Google and Netflix want this. They, they, why would they want it if the, if they could just buy a fast lane with it? I, I'm saying I agree with you that I think it's going to hurt the little guy because sure. the big guy is going to get all he needs and wants any, in either scenario. Right, and so we're the people who are going to end up taking the shaft, and they'll say, you know, we have enough um, bloggers about this subject, or, you know, we have enough conservative bloggers, and that's not fair, so we, you know, because we, don't, we need more slots for liberal bloggers, so you can't have your blog. 
Yeah, they can do anything. They can do anything with yes, licensing. Yeah, regulation. Yep. Yes, they they uh, there are two principles that I think this this uh, goes to. One is that regulation. To me, I call them regulatory barriers to entry. Regulation always uh, interferes with competition. And the other thing is the power to tax, which is inherent in the Telecommunications Act. So the power to tax is the power to destroy. And that is, a, is a, um, I think Douglas said that. But those are two important tenets that, that it limits regulations, limit competition, and taxes destroy. I'm going to tell you uh, a little bit more why, why I smell a rat, and I'm going to give away the McDonald's prize pack. And get to more calls, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK-THIS-IS, Monica Perez. Monica Perez, on News 95.5 and AM 750, WSB. We're talking about internet freedom. There are a couple of different parts to that, net neutrality, which I think goes to censorship, and privacy. And I want to finish up the conversation about censorship, net neutrality. I'm going to... um, I have a call. Andrew is going to tell us how net neutrality affects startups and little websites. And I want to hear about that. But then I want to talk about the privacy question because it's really something that I think about, like philosophically, I really puzzle over this. Why is privacy important? Is it just that it's a political right that you need in order to plot against the government, basically, like, which is what I think the Fourth Amendment is for? Or is it, uh, is it something bigger than that? Is it like a human necessity? Like, is it necessary for you to have mental health, for you to have privacy? I mean, why is it so important? And are, are our kids growing up without it? And are they, is it going to mess them up? I really want to explore what if privacy is just a a political thing or if there's something really fundamental about it something really necessary 404-872-0750 1-800-WSB-TALK um i am gonna have to oh i can give away the prize pack real quick a four pack of tickets to the Greater Atlanta RV Show, March 6th through 8th at the Georgia World Congress Center, and a family four-pack of tickets to see the Gwinnett Gladiators versus the South Carolina Stingrays on March 13th at the Arena at Gwinnett Center. First person to call 404-741-0750, you'll get that. And uh, I'll be back right after this. This is Monica Perez. There was a righteous sound. It doesn't matter what I've been through. I'd still be digging on James Brown. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done.